Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy, and today I am pleased and it is a pleasure to bring the person I have on the show with me uh, today and introduce him, the one and only Rocky Buckley. Some of you may know him, some of you may not know him, but you will all get a feel for who he is at the end of the show because he's a fun guy, I wouldn't have him on the show otherwise. Um, so real quick before we get started, our sponsor for the show, of course, is personalpersonaproject.com, uh, so Power personaproject.com, powerpersonaproject.com. I got that wrong the first time. Links will be in the description below. It will take you to a Facebook group, which Rocky owns, which is brilliant. I'm in there. So you guys can go check out some more stuff and interact with some incredible people around the world. Also, this episode is sponsored by greatestcopywriterlive.com. Go there, check out the story selling matrix, which goes into how to discern and create multiple stories from your own story timeline and essentially what you can pick up from there. And there's a whole bunch of extra bonuses that we've thrown in since. That being said, let's begin. Rocky, great to have you on the show, man. I'm so happy. Hey, to great to be here. It's, it, it's been a long time in the making. <laughs> we've been <laughs> talking definitely. about this for a while. It's been a blast. I mean, you've done yeah. so much stuff in your time. I was like, I got to get this guy back. I got to get this guy in here, like just record him and see what's going on. So my very first question right off the bat would be not so much who you are, but like essentially what was it that got you back into the personal persona project for like a really long time? You were, if I remember correctly, you were kind of like behind the scenes like I was, but now you're really branching out on your own. Like what was the shift? Yeah, well, the, the shift was, was a long time coming. Um, you know, for over 20 years, I was primarily a consultant and I was offline <laughs> yeah. and I was working with, you know, very big billion dollar brands, uh, primarily in the education space, you know, producing a lot of products, training, curriculum, um, programs, things like that. And a couple of years ago, I really decided I wanted to make a move and, and go through kind of a reinvention. I felt that I was capable of a lot more. I wasn't really passionate and loving what I was doing. And um, I wanted to make a shift and I wanted to work with people like me that you know, we're sort of they're doing well, but they had they knew that they had a lot more upside. They knew that they were sitting on a lot more potential and um, really help those people to break through and build an audience and build, you know, their own intellectual property and their products and programs and things like that. So, you know, I went through a, a pretty deep soul searching process a couple of years ago and really kind of had to figure out what was it that I was going to be the most passionate about and what was it that was going to light me up every single day. And in that process, you know, it, it sort of unlocked a couple of things that, that led me to the creation of Power Persona Project and a lot of the other stuff that's going to be coming up. So that's a short answer, but it, it was a couple of years in, in the making. See, I love that. And there was something that we had a discussion about when we actually discussed this and actually shifted something for me as well massively, as I told you. So thank you for that. Um, and that was the question Dan Sullivan, I think it was Dan Sullivan that asked, which was... Um, what could you be obsessed by? Like, what is the one obsession of your life? And I think when you when you said that, my brain answered it. And I found, like, for me, it's people. I love studying people, how they think, how they behave in every situation. That's my passion. Um, so my question to you is, what was yours? Like, what was your answer to your obsession? Yeah, well, yeah. That, and that Dan Sullivan thing was very instrumental for me as well. And, and the way that he phrases it, I think, is important because what he's trying to do when he works strategically with entrepreneurs is to get them to find that one thing that they find, quote unquote, endlessly fascinating. That's the one. That one area, right? That you could you could basically camp out there for the next 20, 30 years and never get tired of it. And to try to drill into that one area that is endlessly fascinating. And that was sort of a guiding uh, principle for me as I kind of went through this soul searching and internal process. And what really you know was unlocked in me as I was, because I was thinking about business models that would not require me to be seen. I, I wouldn't have to build an audience. I wouldn't be the face of it. And I really had to think through, you know, did I want to be a behind the scenes guy where you'd never even know who I was and build that kind of a business? Or did I want to build one where I was the face of that business? And I had to really kind of think through it. And what I realized was that the things that light me up the most and make me feel the most passionate are helping people. First of all, it had to be something where I was actually helping people in a way that was hands-on that I could feel that I could be a participant in it, not where I created a product that I never really had direct contact with anybody. So yeah. I wanted to work with people where I could work up close with them, really help them to transform their lives. And as I drilled into that further, because that's a very vague uh, concept, and it, it really went into sort of solo experts. It was people that were naturally gifted, talented, had very high potential, 
you know, they, they've shown traits and aspects of that in their life. They've had some level of success. Um, they naturally have leadership qualities that show up no matter whether they're running the kids school board or, or in their church or whatever it might be that they tend to just rise naturally into leadership positions. And there's just something there that they know. They always had a sense that they were going to do something important. They were going to be somebody and yet their lives have not ended up where they wanted them to be. Right. So as I kind of drilled into that, it was sort of like entrepreneurial people. It was experts who had a lot of knowledge and a lot of valuable knowledge that they could share. And how do you unlock that? How do you reinvent that expertise into a much higher position, right? A much higher framework, much higher income, much better lifestyle, et cetera, and really zero in on that kind of life that you love, right? Yeah. So it was not only a business from a standpoint of income and success, but it was how do you put it all together where, you know, you absolutely love what you do and you're bringing your best you know, talents to the table, you're bringing all of your skills, all the things that you're great at that you've probably buried or they've been dormant for a while. Like, how do you put all that together and package that and become, you know, that, that star that you always could have been, right? So I think about wasted potential is one of those biggest things that I've tapped into as a driver. When I see it in myself and I see it in other people, it's something that my heart just goes like, I really feel like a sense of almost anger, right? There's like a sense of, Here's a person wasting their potential and they could be capable of so much more. And I've, again, felt that about myself as well. And I'm like, that's that wasted potential thing is the one thing that I zeroed in on the most. And I said, that's, that's the one thing for me, wasted potential. And how do you unlock that in people and help them to live, you know, their best life. So. That's pretty awesome. I know you could probably tell I'm kind of passionate about this. A just little a bit. little bit, you know, just <laughs> a little bit of passion. Like, I don't know what it just, you know, could maybe do this. But no, I, I love that because it's true. I think um, one of the best uh, breakthroughs that came for me today, like I was speaking to my friend Kat. Um, I'm Stanzik, I think is her surname is how to pronounce it. But she's on the show. She's a couple of episodes beforehand. Guys, go listen to it after this one. It will be awesome. Uh, one of the things that she said to me was, be comfortable with, with where you are. Don't compare yourself to other people, but be comfortable with where you are, but turn around and go, look who else needs help that's walking your old path. Like that's guide them. And you'll find like, like things become easy. I was like, that's so cool. Because again, it kind of all plays into everything else. My question for you realistically is, <clears throat> let's say someone is listening to this right now and they're like, man, I feel like that. I feel like I'm wasting my potential but I just feel so lazy and I don't know what to do. I, it's monotonous. I can't break out. What is something they can do? Like say three things they can do to stop breaking away from that. Wow. Well, that was pretty much the situation that I, I got in, you know, I mean, I knew when I started my consulting business and I was primarily working with corporate clients, it wasn't the sexiest subject matter necessarily. Like yeah. I've worked with you know, hundreds of different authors and experts in, probably over a hundred markets. Right. But a lot of it was, you know, things that I wasn't interested in necessarily engineering, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, like the thermodynamics, like in some of it, it was really geeky stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, over time, you know, working with corporate clients and working with this kind of subject matter, um, you know, I just kind of didn't have a, a passion for it. And for me, the, the real step was to, to consciously decide, you know, I'm going to reinvent myself. I, I believe I'm capable of a lot more and I'm going to do it. And I'm coming to an age now where I've pretty much hit my window. Either I'm going to do it now or I'm not going to do it. Right. And that was sort of what I started to approach. The ticking clock was a driver for me. And I started realizing, you know, it's going to take me probably a few years to really go through this successfully. And I've got it. So I got to start now. So what I did was I, you know, I really spent a lot of time alone. I got, I got a chance to go to the beach for a couple of weeks and really do some internal soul searching. And I brought my video camera with me, <laughs> which is one of the secrets that I often teach people when they do retreats or they do this sort of private brainstorming stuff is get in front of a video camera and watch yourself. And because when you're taking notes or you're thinking of things and you're coming up with ideas, it's one thing to see it on paper. It's another thing to see yourself on video with all of the emotions that you brought to it and you're explaining it in full of the context and you're feeling the energy and you're really kind of getting a sense of, you know, what you were really thinking and tapping into at that time. And so it was really for me a couple of weeks at the beach with a video camera and 
notebooks and long walks and thinking and really sort of walking through my life and kind of going like, okay, what have I done? Where do I feel most drawn? You know, um, where am I most gifted? Where are my talents? Where's, where's my skill sets? More importantly too, who do I want to ultimately become? Because for me, it was about the big picture of my life. It wasn't just now, what can I do now? It was okay, ultimately envisioning myself at my peak. Who do I want to be 10 years from now, 20 years from now? How do I want to be remembered? How do I want to be looked back at? It's, it's so thinking for me was, you know, about that big picture and then starting to reverse engineer it and work back strategically. Okay, how does that fit into today? So for me, it was sort of, once I kind of got clear on some of that stuff, it was about a strategic process. Okay, how do I bring the stuff, the, the places I want to go, right? How do I merge that with, who I am and what I've already done. What can I plausibly be now and position myself now as with the plan that over time, I'm going to gradually migrate over there and become that, you know, in 10 years. So, so it was kind of like that kind of a thing. I think it's a lot of introspection and it's looking at yourself from a number of different vantage points. I think big vision, what do I want my life to look like, first of all? And when you start tapping, and you mentioned the person that's kind of unmotivated and so on, yeah. well, once you tap into those dreams again and you tap into that passion that maybe has been buried, the enthusiasm naturally starts to come. And that's why the video camera is so important because you can see when it is when you start to talk and you become animated and your breathing changes and your body language changes and your voice, right? You can tell those moments when you're hitting on it and when you're not, right? And I, when I work with people a lot, I can tell in their body language, it's like, they're explaining to me, you know, their new business idea or whatever it might be. And you can just see, it's like, well, I think I'm going to start working with um, digital marketing agencies. And I think I can get some leads there. And it's sort yeah, of like, just hear it. You can, you feel can it. just hear it. Yeah. So I think those are really the clues. I think the body language and the, the energy level is definitely a big clue to where you should be going. Oh, I agree on that one so much. It's one of the things that, um, by the way, when you're saying that right now, I was just typing up in the background, I was like cottages and walk were like destinations near me. So I can just give me like, I'm gonna book like a couple of days away yeah. because you're right about the video camera. Cause in my head, I never thought of that before because at the same time, especially if you're, you leave it on 24 hours instead of just switching it off when you want to talk to, you capture hours of footage, which are brilliant. But more importantly, as you just said, you can see the change moments yeah. like the moments that things change. And it's like, wow. Also now I'm thinking about how the hell do you get a video camera to actually record for like that continuous time? I just use my laptop really, or a computer and I'll oh, just turn on quick time player and I, I will schedule, you know, brainstorming sessions. Okay. I'm going to like, okay, I'm going to go for an hour and I'm going to brainstorm on this topic and I'll just turn on the camera and just, I just feel free and, and just go from there. You know, the thing is for me too, I'm a very poor note taker. Yes. Like I, you know, I'll just scribble some stuff down, but then when I go back and revisit it, it's like, not that great. <laughs> yes. You lose, you lose the whole thing. Right. So that's when I, when I kind of got the insight, first I started doing voice memos. I did audio and then I was like, well, why don't I just put this on a video camera? Right. And so I started just doing it that way. And it's, it's been gold really. It's gold, Jerry. <laughs> But you know, you can transcribe them, you can do all sorts of stuff with it. And yeah, you can chop them up as well and come out with absolute like B-roll footage. So yeah. for me, what I was thinking was I was actually gonna go like the full, I was gonna set it up in a room and be like, okay, if I'm working in this room, if I'm reading in this room, if I'm like in front of the computer, I'm recording nonstop, it was nonstop. That is just always on until I'm done with it. Like when I go, when I, at the end of the day, just, you know, end record and watch the stuff back for like eight hours. Um, yeah. That is like some borderline obsession shit that I'd be doing as well, and probably would be really, really, really powerful. So, guys, if you if you want to go stand in a cabin or to the beach or wherever it is, go for a day. Like I think even one solid day will do mm -hmm. more good for you than any than like trying to go for like hours at a time. Yeah. yeah no, absolutely, and I, I get obsessive with it too. I do a lot of retreats. Yeah, you do personal retreats solo, and I mean I'm obsessive about my diet i'm obsessive about the time like i know exactly i've dialed this into a system now it's like i know exactly how to eat to create maximum clarity i know how often to take breaks what to do on those breaks and it's 
was this just like like an obsessive like look through until yeah. you like develop the schedule for yourself or was there like a previous system that you followed and went okay this works really good for me yeah it was all over time you know i doing it and kind of going okay noticing that my energy level would wax and wane on certain days or I, some nights i wouldn't get a great sleep whatever it would be and i started noticing some patterns and i started making some adjustments and it was kind of like maybe on days where i ate a little bit more sugar or days where I didn't walk, you know, things where there wasn't as much of a quality or I was trying to do too much. That's why like for me, I kind of found my sweet spot as like a 45 minute brainstorm session where I'm very focused, but I don't typically go more than that. I may occasionally, but I kind of block several of those 45 minute sessions in a day. And in between, I give myself ample time to rest, go take a walk, you know, get clear and exercise, things like that. And yeah. it really helps. I, I don't think an eight hour in a row <laughs> standing in a room, it wouldn't work for no. me, but it might, it might work for you. No, no. It's like, I just say that eight hours because like, sometimes I do yeah. do stuff like when I get hyper-focused. Oh, that is, that's when I really go for it. But I think in a room, if I'm that to plan, it's probably going to look like maybe about 45 minutes of me doing something. And the rest of the time you're going, I'm really bored. What is going on? Yeah. Unless yeah. I have a giant whiteboard in front of me, I get an idea. And it's like, yeah. Just like watching um, Rain Man do his thing. Exactly. <laughs> it's just yeah. a thing. And, and if you know you like that, like set up the environment in advance, you know, bring the whiteboard with you and yeah. make sure you have it there and your notebooks and all of the stuff. Yep, definitely set it up for the best setup yep. and uh, limit sugar. That's the one I'm finding as well. Like that's really a big, big focus for me is limiting sugar. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always knew exercise was a thing, but because we've had the lockdown for so long and things are kind of opening up, I fell into a pattern of super lazy. So I'm like, I don't even want to go to the gym right now. It's like, you need to go to the gym. Like the yeah. gym is, is good for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or, or, you know, walks are great walks when, when you're great. in the brainstorming mode as well. You just, yeah. your mind just flows. And especially at the beach for me, at least. Oh, the beach is that combination best. is killer. Yeah. The warmth, the breeze and the water is just like, I can't, I couldn't even beat that. Like for me, that is the best feeling ever. Even the um, cold. I go in the winter. I, I typically go, to the beach in new jersey oh, where wow, i'm yeah. from originally yeah and in the winter you know it's a it's a big coat and a hat and i'll walk out on the beach doesn't oh, that's matter probably relaxing as well to be fair just it imagine is. yeah keeps you keeps you alert <laughs> and awake um so curiously out of like the birth of that i was going to say so as you're like building different things um actually this is the thing i want to ask you when you're building out your schedule because you compile things and i've noticed this uh, you compile things in a way that you actually figure out what it is over time. My question for you is, do you just do one thing at a time and see if you can perfect that? Or is it just a case of every three months you do a review? Like not just now, but how did you come to the point where you're like, you are how you are now, if that makes sense? Like what was the process that you went through from initially it started off with just an idea and then it started into like note taking and then it just became this other thing. And then finally it just worked itself into my life and system. Because like, as you said, you've dialed in your food your breaks, your timing, your sleep, everything. Like, how did that all come about? Um, are you asking more on like a personal basis? Yeah. Like, how did you? Yeah. A lot of, a lot of trial cool. and error and a lot of noticing and a lot of failing, <laughs> you know, really, because I mean, I've had so many times where I've made, I've made progress. I figured some things out and then I went backward. You know, my, yeah. I've had yo-yo in my diet going up and down and putting on weight and then, you know, And over time, it's like you go through enough repetitions, eventually you start to kind of get it. And one of the ways I like to think about it is almost like when you start playing a new video game. Yeah. I know you're a video game guy, right? So, you know, when you start that first, you know, and you can't beat that first level or whatever it is. And, but you start seeing the patterns over and over in that video game and you start to figure out, okay, now, now here's where the guy jumps out. (laughs) And now I go here and I, and the, the more repetitions you have in playing that level, you start figuring out that level and you start to crack it and then you beat it. And then it becomes effortless to beat it. Yeah. And I, I kind of find that life is a lot like a video game in that sense. With enough repetitions and with enough persistence, you know, you've got to have the, the internal motivation to keep trying and not yeah. give up. But the more you keep trying, the more you keep noticing things. And the more uh, perceptive you are about what you notice, right? I told Tony Robbins calls it sensory acuity. Yeah. You start to notice the feedback that you're getting. You start to notice what's happening in response. Then you start making adjustments. So, I mean, for me, I'm a massive 
you know, note taker. I have tons of notebooks filled with, you know, I can go back and find notebooks from 10 years ago where it's like, I'm still like that. I had that idea 10 years ago, you know? Yep. And I think as long as you're observing your own life and you're aware of what you're doing and you're taking records of it and you're reflecting on it, you know, you can't help but stumble onto a few good things, you know, yeah, along the I, way. I agree. And to be fair, I want anyone out there just listening in, don't be afraid to fail. Like, honestly, just think of it as, as you know, you just said right now, as Rocky said, it's a freaking video game. Get up, go again, you're alive. Get up, go again, you're alive. Find out how to do it one step different every single time if you need to. Um, and what was I? Oh, there was something you just said that was absolutely brilliant. And my brain just like zipped across for a second. Um, sorry, guys, just bear with me one moment while I get my bearings. But what it was that you... No, sorry, it's gone. I'll just have to ask something else and we'll come back to you later on. Well, Um, I think we were talking about a little bit about sort of, you know, creating awareness, self-reflection. Yes. Yes. So like I was going to say that was it. Um, I just remembered what it was. Yeah, notepads for some reason, I actually couldn't, uh, I spent so much money on notepads every year that I actually got told by an accountant friend of mine, just get an iPad, please. It's like, it's like, you'll spend like, it'll be a one-time purchase. You'll be really happy. You can use it all the time. Because my problem is once I've written it down in a notepad, it goes into one of the shelves and then I forget why it's that. Um, sure. But it's, it's, it's actually something that's quite powerful. And I, I actually took it from Tim Ferriss as an idea of keeping track of things um, because that's really powerful. Uh, one of the questions I did want to ask you was when it comes down to your self-development and your discipline, what is it that you, have you always been fairly disciplined in the way that you do things or did that also take time and repetition? Well, I, I, it's a mixed bag, I would say. I think when I've been driven on things um, and I can get into a tunnel, I'm, I can be very, very disciplined for a time. Yeah. But it doesn't always last, right? So I'm not, I'm not a great multitasker. In fact, I'm a pretty poor multitasker, but I'm, I tend to be like very obsessive and I can go down that track and go very, very deep down that track. Um, in terms of personal discipline, it's kind of interesting. Like I, you know, I know you and I have talked about this, I think, but my, you know, I grew up the son of a bodybuilder. Yeah. My dad was a bodybuilder and a police officer as well. Um, and so I kind of grew up around like discipline and watching like routines and systems and performance, like from a very, like I was in the gym from a very early age and I was surrounded by bodybuilders, arm wrestlers, power lifters from the youngest time. Right. And yeah. I, I, I couldn't help but pick that stuff up. And I, and, and I became obsessive as a teenager about reading like muscle and fitness magazine, reading about Arnold and, you know, oh, Franco Colombo and all of those people. And then, you know, you and I have talked about you know, boxing and combat sports as well. And yep. it's just, I've always been fast and I'm a sp- big sports guy as well. So baseball for me is my, is my number one sport, but it's always, I've always looked at things through that lens of systems and performance and, understanding that you had to be very regimented to accomplish certain goals. It's kind of always been there. Um, and again, in my own personal life, I've probably had varying degrees of success in that regard, but I've always been around it. Yeah. And I've always been aware of it. And I've always kind of aspired to higher and higher levels of organization and systemization of my life. And I think some people that have been very you know, Im- impactful for me in that area would be somebody like Eben Pagan, where I've, I've learned a ton from Eben Pagan um i think I his i'm sorry i love evan the dude yeah, so cool. i love evan I, too I, I really want to interview him one day like that's on my like goals yeah. list yeah great 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 guy and i think like his program wake up productive yes was it, it was really really impactful for me but it's not just about the content in that program it was about the meta level the way that evan thinks yes and about the systemization of of you know how to put things into practice in fact it was Eben who talked about Robert Fritz's book, The Path of Least Resistance. That book to me, when Eben would talk about things like inevitability thinking, if you've ever heard Eben talk about that, it's like, it's not just yeah. about trying to fulfill a goal. It's about how do I set up the conditions so that that goal becomes inevitable, that it becomes effortless. Yeah. And Eben got that concept from Robert Fritz in that book, The Path of Least Resistance. And when I read that source book, that, that's got to be probably one of my top five books of all time. 
It, it really oh, changed the way I thought about every aspect of my life and systemizing it and creating conditions so that to make it effortless and easy. And I've approached everything since that point like that, you know, and it makes me do things a lot slower sometimes because I'm always working on the systems and perfecting the systems. But once those systems are in place, everything becomes effortless at that point. So, yeah. So it's basically, wow. I've got, okay. So I'm already ordering that book. That's like on my list because um, I love Evan, like genuinely love Evan's work because um, in every aspect, even his dating stuff when he was back in, David D'Angelo back in the day, because that really helped me out in a different way. Um, But I would say to anyone listening, please go pick up Wake Up Productive, like literally watch it. Because the one thing I will say that's different about Evan to almost anyone else I've seen teach, he is on purpose with everything he says. Like nothing is just by accident in the way he's very methodical, but set the time aside to watch him is what i'll say he's entertaining so he's good to listen to but he's very very knowledgeable in what he does and he can very much teach you almost anything. he can almost teach you anything like i remember when uh eben was teaching a copywriting course yeah, when yeah. i was when i was a little hotshot copywriter going around like no one can whatever it is i'm like i i learned from everyone but i was like i don't think this is the right thing for them um boy was i proved wrong when i went through it and i was like eben actually is he knows his shit he does know his shit. Yeah, it's deep, deep stuff. I mean, I, I saw Eben the first time, I think it was in 2009 wow. at the Stompernet, Stompernet conference. Oh, good old Stompernet. stage and it was like, who is, I mean, he, he reminded me of a young Steve Jobs. Yeah. The way that he kind of stepped on the stage and presented, and I was kind of like, this guy's got something. And I got to meet Eben back then and, you know, just really, really cool. I, I just love everything he does. Yeah. You know, it's it's crazy to think like back then, I remember like these are all the people I want to study under because I was like super poor and still like in my 20s. I was like, um, well, late teens, early 20s. I was like, how am I going to get in front of them? Um, the loophole around that was I had clients that loved their stuff. So I'd be like, okay, cool. Do you want me to like go over their courts and like give you notes? And they're like, yeah. It's like, great. That's actually how I got to study Mass Control 2.0 was uh, by going through someone else's course, um, someone else's login. Oh, no, they had a different, they had a physical copy of it. So they got me to go through it. And they're like, yeah, write up the notes and send them to me. <laughs> Devoured oh. that. So you're the note, note-taking note nerd. Oh, I wish I was. No, no, no. I really <laughs> you remember wish I was. the note-taking nerd? Yeah, Dexter. Like, he's oh, still okay, going. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's still yeah. going. I, I wish that was Is me. No, okay. Yeah, Dexter's... Like he was that dude that did it though, like properly. Me, I just did like local clients and people I knew, like on the warrior forum. I was like, you guys have access, send it. Um, but no, it's like back in those days though, I still remember how so actually this is a better question for you. For the older people who have been around for a while have listened to the show, they've also been in the industry for ages. How do you figure out what's happening right now? Because there are and I do know this for a fact, there are some of my friends that are that had success back in the old way that you know you do the launch you go through the stuff you have a membership site you have a 30 percent churn rate and it's very simple to build to today because you have to undo that old model and update it so my question for you as someone that also went through that same process how did you mentally update all the models that you know into something that now is being tested out that is working well it's interesting i didn't (laughs) and you know when i first started this reinvention idea or process, the world was a different place in terms of the possibility of a person going from an unknown to a star relatively fast. There was a, when I started really thinking about this, there was a window of opportunity where Facebook ads were dirt cheap. Webinars were fresh and new. Yep. And a person could kind of, if you could figure out how to run some ads and get a webinar in front of people, you know, you could really go from zero to somebody very quickly, right? And I kind of bought into that idea. And I kind of said, you know what? I don't have time to build an audience. I don't have time to do the timeless things that I knew would work. I w- I'm going to try to leapfrog it. And I'm going to try to go in down this route and develop a course and a program. And then I'm going to promote it with a webinar and run ads and all of that. And in the time of me conceiving that, (laughs) the time of me executing it, you know, I was still running my other business. And, you know, it took me some time to go through that process and develop a program and beta test it with people and got good results with people and so on. But in that time, the world changed quite a bit. And 
webinars became a lot less attractive to people and Facebook ads became a lot, you know, everything sort of changed and that window kind of closed. Um, I, at least for me, I perceived that it, that it really did. And I think for a lot of people it did. Yeah. And then when COVID hit, you know, it obviously changed a lot of things as well. And, you know, what I've really come to is as looking forward to, forward to the future, having seen a lot, having seen a lot of things come and go and things that were hot really, you know, briefly and they flamed out and whole industries turning upside down, you know, like SEO. And there was a whole time where you could build a, a phenomenal business, you know, just on Google rankings. And I did that too. You know, I got number one rankings on Google and did all of that too. I think but as will. I look forward, you know, I, I really believe the things that are timeless are going to be relationships and business models that are flexible, that are built around an audience that can flex with you over time. And I agree. that's where I'm going model wise. I also believe that the future is going to be moving away from the solo expert to a team of experts, a, more of a faculty model. Like Stompernet, I think, was way ahead of its time back in the day where they set up a fact. In fact, I've talked to Brad Fallon about that. And it was kind of like, that just happened by accident. All of a sudden we had all this money and you know, that's a very interesting conversation. Maybe we'll have one day, but Brad telling that story, you know, how they kind of stumbled into this faculty model. But I sort of believe that that's going to be a, a wave of the future too. So I kind of have some opinions on where things are How'd going and kind of them? what's a healthy business that's going to be timeless. Can we, can we ask what some of the opinions are? Can we explore? Yeah, them? well, I, I, like I said, I, I believe that memberships and masterminds are kind of going to be increasingly important as the world changes rapidly because it doesn't require you to take the time and sort of produce courseware. And like by the time you really create test vet a course and get testimonials and all of that the world may have changed by the time it comes out i remember jeff walker i was in a private mastermind with jeff walker once and it's kind of saying you know a lot of the courses that you see out here now were based on things that were that worked really well two years ago and by the time they hit the market the effectiveness goes down quite a bit in in many cases and that's one of the things i like about jeff walker is he keeps updating product launch formula every year Yep. But I think that being in an iterative, dynamic environment that's flexible and that takes advantage of the, the sort of crowdsourcing experiences from other people um, in the context of learning a, a focused topic as well. Like I am a big fan of masterminds, but masterminds that are too open and you've got a lot of different people in there. And it's just we're all going to help each other with our business, but there's no silo that it's kind of operating within. Yeah. I think there's an opportunity to there and people are doing it, of course, but I think the future is going to be more around these dynamic environments where we're learning, we're producing content, we're teaching people stuff, but it's flexible and it, we're doing it in real time with other people yeah. um, as opposed. So I'm moving away more in my own, in my own thing, um, away from programs to masterminds and also memberships. I think that memberships are, you know, it's all about the people and it's all about a membership that has kind of a big umbrella idea around it, that it's not micro targeted on one little result. Yeah. Like that can work, but I'd rather have a more broad membership that covers a lot of different topics that we grow together over time and we can kind of change it and flex it as the years go on. Because the idea of a membership is you want to be in relationship with people for years to come, not just like for six weeks or something. I, yeah. I want to be, I want to build a network of people and friends that we we all love each other and we kind of grow together over time. Almost and basically a it's fraternity. It's about the friendships, the networks, and the partnering opportunities that come out of that. So basically, a fraternity is what you create. That's a good way to that's a good way to put it. Yeah, hmm. I think those models are going to be timeless. And and whereas you know, I'm positioning myself there. I think you're actually doing the best thing possible for that because the way I was thinking about it was, yeah, you could do. And the iterations that you can really build around. Uh, so like you can actually use decentralized command more than anything in those kind of ways. So you have the mastermind model um, combined in with a membership model, or you have the mastermind model in the very, very center that stands for everything. But then you have the educators slash faculty members breaking off with their own little breakout groups. So exactly. essentially everyone has their own niche and voice within the community, mm -hmm. yeah. which is incredible because yeah. they use those for podding, but they only have them to like three or four people. 
But I think what you're saying is having a miniature membership within each mastermind that is like mini pods within like the big tree. Yeah, yeah. That's, that certainly, actually... that's certainly, I think there's a lot of different variations that yeah. can come out of it depending, but um, that's, that's kind of how I see it. I think I see it as more of like larger, low, lower priced membership with the, with the big umbrella idea around it. That's where I'm going. You know, Power Persona Project is going to become a paid membership at some point. The free community will always be there, but I'm creating a, you know, a paid membership on that. And then out of that will become the higher priced program yeah. or the higher priced mastermind, really program slash mastermind. And those people will come out of that environment. So I kind of see a two-step front end, back end sort of thing for me, but I'm sure that will evolve over time. So you're giving me a great idea right now, which is just like, just sharing this out there with anyone that really wants to do it is like, I'm thinking I might put together like a bigger higher end mastermind, where it's like basically $25,000 a year. Mm -hmm. But what it is, is just basically being on the very cutting edge of everything that we run is tested. Like if we do a course on like this worked great, here's why it worked next year, that model kept working. We kept it. It changed slightly. Here's the iteration of what's happening next. You're constantly testing out new ideas. Yeah. And the reason I put it at that price is because essentially what you're paying for as a consumer of that, being a member of that community is you're essentially supporting the person who's testing everything to test everything. They're just going out there constantly improving what's out there. So you as a, as a consumer, as a client are ahead of your competition and as an idea, I think that'd be a, that'd be a brilliant idea. Yeah, like to run through if you have the obsession, of course, if you don't have the obsession to keep testing, you're not going to. Sure. No, that's that's a phenomenal idea. And it's, it's, it's funny, as I've gone through this process myself, I've interviewed a lot of people to do market research. And one of the most interesting things that came out of the market research was that people not only wanted to do a mastermind type experience, they not only wanted to share knowledge, and also get the support and the accountability, all those normal things that come out of masterminds. But they also wanted to do collaborative projects together. Yes. And that was a really cool insight that I got from a couple of people that I interviewed. It was like, let's not just take, let's not just leave it at conversations and getting to know each other and networking and helping each other and referring and all of the normal things. Let's see how we can bring people together to actually create an output of some kind. Um, and that could be, we're all going to write a book together. We're all going to make a movie together. That's one of the things I plan to do in my higher end mastermind, yeah. make a, make a movie, make a documentary with those people in it and include that as part of the, you know, that's part of the lure of being a part of it, right? You get to be in a movie, but it's those kind of things that the, the, the sky is really the limit with, with, with what you can do um, in that sort of environment. And that's why I love it so much. And that's why I think it's endlessly flexible it can keep changing over time, over the years. And as long as you're surrounded by people and relationships, that's never going to go away. And I think by putting relationships front and center in your business, just in the way you design the model and the way you think about the model, I think that's going to serve you very well over time. That's my, my philosophy on it. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more with you. Yeah. Like, I think it's like one of the best things possible out there is the fact that as you... How to put this? Essentially, what you're embodying there is as you grow, everyone else grows. Mm -hmm. And that's really the community that you're looking for. And collaboration, by the way, is such a powerful thing that very few people even talk about. Um, and writing a book, by the way, if you ever do create a movie, I please let us know so I can interview <laughs> and promote it some more because yeah. that yeah. that is incredible. Because yeah. um, I love I love script writing for like movies and stuff. It's like an obsession of mine. Speaking of which, you are a cinephile as well, aren't you? A bit of a movie nerd as well, which is brilliant. So I want to leave enough time to ask you this, but there are two questions in particular, and my one of my favorite questions to ask. Um, and it's very—I'd be very interesting to know, interested to know how you used to handle this and how you handle it now. And that is when life invariably kicks you in the nuts. Mm -hmm. How did you used to handle it comparatively to how you handle it now? Wow. Um, well. You know, as, as you mentioned, I'm a, a cinephile. I'm a film, film nerd. I went to film school. I went to New York University wow. film school. I'm a creative by, by nature and by personality. And I think as a result of being a creative, not as a result of, it's a, you know, whatever, it's connected to being a creative, you tend to be pretty sensitive yeah. and you tend to be moody, uh, you know, melancholy personality. At least for me, creative people tend to be, have these you know, big highs and lows. And, and yeah. I certainly was always wired like that. 
I couldn't handle failure at certain levels. Um, that, that hurt me in sports. You know, there's a lot of things that my personality type is sort of boom and bust by nature. Okay. Um, and, and the way that I used to handle failure would be to just sort of, you know, crumple into a ball, <laughs> you know, or just kind of go into a deep, you know, funk for a long time. And, you know, over time as I've kind of gone in the personal development space, and I would say this probably began for me 30 years ago with personal power, Tony Robbins, personal power, book. 1990, bought, the bought it off the infomercial cassette tapes. I mean, that's, I go back that far with this kind of stuff. But I mean, with Tony Robbins, personal power, I started to learn about pain and pleasure, creating our own beliefs, adapting our own emotions and states. And I started learning about that stuff. And over time, you know, I, I got deeper into the worlds of, you know, NLP and, you know, self-hypnosis and, you know, belief reframing. Yep. And so I kind of built my new mind around that stuff, even though my, by nature, I'm still the sensitive, creative guy over time. You know, I've gone through a lot of things. I've been in business, you know, 22 years at this point gone through a lot of things, a lot of disruptions, a lot of ups and downs. I've had to become mentally tough uh, because of all of that, right? And especially having a family and kids, like you you don't really have much of a choice. Um, <laughs> so for me, like I've had to stand up and step up and, and overcome some things. And it's all self-taught and it's, you know, I mean, it's self-taught and self-administered, I would say. Um, so that's kind of, I guess it's, it's all learned. That's pretty cool. You know, there's that debate between nature, nur uh, nature and nurture. And for me, my nature is really different than the nurtured version. Yeah. <laughs> it came out, you know. Yeah, it takes time. And by the way, when you were saying that, like uh, just over my shoulder where my thumb is pointing, you guys can't really see at home, but Rocky can. That is Tony Robbins, The Time of Your Life. The, uh, I think it was a 2000 edition of the uh, CD-ROM pressing of it. Because yeah. huge yeah. Tony Robbins fan. I mean, you saying that just made remind me that I need to go through personal power like two again. Because <laughs> it just yeah. might, it's it, seriously, Tony's probably one of the only dudes, in my opinion, like one of the only people I do uh, follow when I forget about until the moment I need like that drive and re like yeah. rebound, go back to one yeah. of his old tapes, not his new stuff as much for me, but his old stuff yeah. just gets me right back into that place. Absolutely. Well, it's funny. It's one of the reasons I named my my group, the power persona project, there's a little subliminal thing in there. Yep. Power persona is a flip of personal, uh, personal power, power, right? It's yep. that's, that. That, there's that little hidden thing in there. Now you said it and I won't <laughs> forget. I design. Them. Yeah. Now you said it, won't be able to unsee it, but it's that. Yep. So, okay. So the cinephile question I have for you, sure. uh, usually I give people like a top five for this and a top 10. You, I'm giving you a top 20 on the movies and a top 10 on the books. They could be audiobooks if you want. You have 15 minutes or so. And essentially, I want to know what are your top 20 movies that you recommend anyone watch for any reason under the sun? Could be self development, could be inspiration, could be just stuff that you enjoy. And your top 10 books that you recommend to everyone as well. Ooh, wow. Curious. I wish I, I wish I had a chance to put this together. Thinking about this on the fly. Yeah. 120 movies. Wow. Oh, we can go 10. I was just going 20. No, it's fine. I can go, I can go deep on it. I'm just not sure that I would be accurate in ranking them. Oh, no, so, we're not going by ranking. We're literally okay. going by oh, like, okay. just these are oh, like I'm 20 you want, you want a ranking. Okay. No, no, no. Just like any order whatsoever. Okay. Just 20. What I will say in this, and maybe there's 20 movies in there. I don't know. But the, I tend to cluster my, my movie rankings and so on around directors. Yes. I came up in the era of the auteur theory. <laughs> Or the director, and I kind of fell in love with that, right? So, dude, you're preaching to the choir. Okay, all right. So, so, my auteurs, you know, would be people like Francis Coppola is probably the closest to how I would want to direct a film. I think my style of filmmaking would look a lot like Coppola. Oh wow! Uh, wait, Coppola in The Godfather or Coppola later on? Oh, Coppola early. You know, Coppola Godfather. Godfather one and two, not Godfather three. No, no, no God, no, no, no. <laughs> right, Godfather one and two, one and two for sure. Apocalypse Now. Yep. The Cotton Club is Ooh, one of the movies. movies. Uh, it's very underrated. Yeah. People, you know, that movie is a beautiful film. It's flawed, 
but it is a beautiful film and i i love the i love I'm a, you know i'm a fan of gangster genre and and jazz and that's one of the only movies that really brought those together at that level in that kind of a way so the cotton club was a special and formative movie for me back in the 80s when i was you know uh, growing in this era so coppola to me you know if you look at godfather one godfather two uh apocalypse now um you look at uh the cotton club for sure even Patton, which he wrote the script for Patton. Right. Wait, he wrote the he wrote the script. I did not know that he yeah. wrote the script for Patton. Yeah, Francis amazing. Coppola wrote the screenplay for Patton. So to me, like, you know, and he's had a lot of a lot of really interesting movies later in his career as well. I didn't I didn't love the the uh, teenage era when he was making sort of like the outsiders and he kind of went into that that genre for a couple of years. Yeah. Made the black and white film. I, I didn't really love that stuff. Um but we can't we can't actually forget one of my favorite movies of all time which was bram stoker's dracula yes that's what i'm saying that was one of the ones that i think later later in his career he did some really interesting things and i think that was one of them yeah i wouldn't put it on my top list no no it's not his greatest work but i actually enjoyed the movie so i'm like not gonna be mad at it yeah Um, so coppola i mean i would say those those movies that i mentioned would certainly be there then you move to Scorsese, right? So it's sort of the Italian guys, which I'm an Italian. I come from the New York, New Jersey area. So like I relate to a lot of this stuff pretty well. So I mean, Scorsese, where do yep. we even begin? You know, yeah. it's Taxi Driver, it's Raging Bull, it's Goodfellas <sighs> and on and on. Yep, I mean, you got if even, even Hugo, Just... I think Hugo was a phenomenal film. And, and I think it, it's a special film in Scorsese's filmography because it, it's about film. It's a meta film about film and mm-hmm. all of his love for film comes through in that. Um, so Scorsese, I mean, my goodness, where do we go? Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a very, very small, like there's a movie that he made that genuinely is probably one of the most hated movies ever. I think it was called Silence or Patience. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I genuinely loved it. What I loved about it was there was no score in that movie. There is no actual score in that movie. Everything is like background noise, okay. which pissed off the guy that was like six seats away from me as I was eating popcorn. He just, mm. he got up and moved. Like I was eating wow. popcorn. I was like, am I allowed to or is it just this movie so quiet? <laughs> but yeah. um, no, I love, I love a lot of like Scorsese yeah. stuff. I mean, you can go really deep into Scorsese's. I mean, you know, Taxi Driver, Mean Street. Didn't he, didn't he do Savico as well? Or am I getting him? No, 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 he didn't do Savico. Who did Serpico? Sidney Lumet, I think, directed Serpico. Huh. I think. Well, they're not. But then you go from Scorsese for me, then I go into David Lynch. Mm-hmm. Oh, Sudi. Yeah, it was Sidney Lumet that actually did Serpico. Yeah. yeah. Um, David Lynch is my net would be my next director. So you can just go through that. <laughs> you know, Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, and Mulholland Drive, and even Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. There's just there's something about the David Lynch, you know, vibe that just sucks me in. Lost Highway, that scene with Robert Blake. Uh, it's just like some of this, the, the images in, in the David Lynch films, just they just stick with you. It's the straight story, which you was completely different than anything. Ele- Elephant Man, which were more, you know, standard movies. I mean, David Lynch's, you know, uh, film, filmography is, is to me really, really interesting and brilliant. So I would put a number of David Lynch's films in there. Yeah, I wouldn't blame you to be fair because like it's one of those things where um, with the because I've not actually seen as many David Lynch movies as I would oh. like to say. It's like he's not yeah. he's just someone that I've seen some of his work and I've really okay. enjoyed it, but I've not gone and chased yeah. down a lot of his other stuff. Um, but for instance, like the Straight Story is definitely on that and Lost Highway. But what I realize is uh, the movies that I have seen of his burn in my memory like i can never oh, yeah. unsee them like the elephant man yeah. i've not seen the elephant man since i was 12 it's been nearly yeah. 20 years picturesque can remember almost everything including how john merrick spoke his accentation how he was portrayed everything it was so well done in the way it was uh curious who else is on that directorial list well just with david lynch too if you, i'm not sure if you've read any of his his work on creativity no i haven't but he he went very deep into transcendental meditation at some point in his life. And it became really sort of the source of tapping into his creativity through his subconscious. 
by doing transcendental meditation, he's able to really go very deeply into his own mind and pull out all sorts of stuff. So the, the images that you're seeing that are shocking and, and that you would remember, those are kind of things that would just, he would, that, that image would come to him from his unconscious and it would make it into the movie. Like it's designed that way. Um, so if you're interested, I mean, I know you're interested in the mind and how people work and creativity. Oh, this is like I would recommend true. looking into some of David Lynch's work. In fact, he does a master class. Yeah, I just well. saw. I was uh, like, I'm so yeah. glad. I, I think I actually have covers a lot of the same material that's in the book. Um, but definitely pursue that further because I think you'll really, you'll really Enjoy get a lot it. out of that. And then, I mean, Kubrick. Oh, to me, classic genius right there. I, I mean, I love Kubrick. And, and oddly, I think the movie that I love the best of his is probably one that wouldn't represent his overall work would be Lolita. Oh, wow. I, I think Lolita was, I just, the, the black sense of humor that it has, it, the way it was, you know, obviously the, the subject matter, but it was funny and dark and riveting. And there was just something about Lolita that I think really stands out as special in his work. But again, you're going, you know, 2001 and Clockwork Orange and yeah, certainly something. Eyes Wide Shut. I love Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know, so anything Kubrick made, I mean, to me is, you know, there's a reason to watch it. Agreed. I might have 20 films that I've already mentioned. Oh, um, quite easily, but I'm enjoying the you know, list. Keep going. But yeah, Please. I mean, one of the all-time favorite movies that I might even put at number one would be Cinema Paradiso. Wow. That's uh, heavy. Like a lot of people don't. So I'm actually like, that's yeah, yeah. A lot of people. I, it hit seen me that. at the right time in my life because it, it's a film about film. It's a film about a guy who's a filmmaker and a director who looks back later at his life and the love and the the, the lives that he was connected to and the part at the end when it all comes together and all the memories from his life start to fall. I mean. There's not a lot, I'm not a crying sort of a guy, but that movie really, it taps something inside of me. Um, so I might say that might even be my number one best movie of all time. And then so, my favorite would be Scarface. Oh, see, this is <laughs> Brian De Palma is another one of my directors that, but Scarface is my guilty pleasure. It's my favorite movie that I've watched 50 times, you know, so. <laughs> That's quite interesting. I wouldn't thought it was Scarface with you. Yeah, yeah. That's but, the one that is, I've watched the most. So I'm curious on asking you uh, your your ideas and your thought process behind three directors in particular. Mm -hmm. The first one, of course, is Quentin Tarantino, who is arguably oh. one of my favorite directors. I should have, yeah, I didn't mention him, but yeah, in my in my books, I, I need to rewatch Jackie Brown as an adult because I yeah. watched it as a as a 15 or a 14 year old, way too young. Um, but I watched it and I was like, this movie really isn't my vibe. It really bores me. But like probably watching it back, it'll be better watched over as, you know, as I'm older. Uh, Tarantino is one. The second is actually around uh, John Hughes. Uh, John Hughes, the great John Hughes as he is. And the third, slightly controversial, and I'd love your opinion. I'll tell you why in a moment, Michael Bay. But we'll, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll finish with Bay in just a moment. But I'm curious on like Tarantino and um, John Hughes. Yeah. Tarantino would be right up there with Coppola, Scorsese. Oh, yeah, I don't know that he's at their level as far as an artist, but his movies certainly are favorites of mine. They're ones that I go back to again and again and again. You know, my son, I just introduced my 16-year-old son. He watched Pulp Fiction oh my for God, the first no time way. the other day. Wow. And yeah, I mean, Quentin, I, I love Quentin. And, yeah. you know, and, and especially, you know, having also read his screenplays for Natural Born Killers and True yes. Romance. You go back to the original stuff, the way he wrote it, you know, when it, even though it was directed ultimately by by other people, was very very interesting. So yeah, I mean, Pulp Fiction to me is is the masterpiece. I think that is the one that will be his best movie. I don't I think he's know. ever done anything up to that level since that point. I think he's become self indulgent over the years. There's a little too much where it's like too much Quentin and not enough thinking about the audience. Um, but the Kill Bills. I would say that, you know, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and the two Kill Bills are probably my favorite in his, in his movie. Jackie Brown didn't grab me either, and yeah. it didn't hold up to me. I first saw it when it first came out. I saw it in the theaters. And re-watching it, you know, you appreciate it a little bit more maybe than you did at first. It was a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah. But it's, it's not as, it's not, you, you remembered it prop, probably properly as, as not being that exciting, you know. 
I, I mean, I, I agree, but like, uh, I'd also throw in Django Unchained and Inglorious Bastards into that film mix as well as my all-time favorites. Okay. Simply because I, I couldn't get like the Hateful Eight was one of the only movies I couldn't yeah. watch of his. Like I got through it and I was like, I was skipping through yeah. bits of it. I, was I watched the four life. hour one on Netflix. Nah, couldn't do that. Then I went to, uh, I actually really enjoyed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I actually really, I, too. I, I that was like a comeback film sort of. Yeah. And what I loved about it was this was his movie and the way he, he put it out there was it's my love letter to Hollywood, to filmmaking. Because if you look at like Tarantino, he said, I think it was like 10 movies is what he's going to make and he's done. And that was number nine. So it's really cool. It's like, I'm signing off my love letter. I'm there. And funnily enough about Tarantino, one last thing, you know who he reminds me of or like who reminded me of him for a really long time? Andy Jenkins. Yeah. Oh yeah. Video boss. Like just facially. Yeah. Facially, but also creatively in the way they thought about things. Yeah. Well, Andy was a film guy too. Yeah. He went to NYU as well, I believe. Yeah, video boss when uh, that was one of the things that he had, which is brilliant. Yep. All right, so we've got a couple of minutes left. Now we've got uh, John Hughes and then finally Michael Bay. I will say I didn't I didn't watch a lot of John Hughes's movies. Yeah. I'm I my sensibility and when when he was most popular was more toward darker fair. Yeah. So like the whole teen stuff, bra- you know, the uh, you know, Breakfast, Breakfast Club, Club and yeah. Pretty in Pink and Six or Sixteen Candles, you know, like that. That was not really my genre at all so while i appreciate i think he did a lot of a lot of great things and he, he really found his sweet spot yeah. um you know and then i guess home alone right and, and, yeah. and, and from there did he do um planes trains and automobiles i don't remember i don't think he did but that's what i'm not sure that he did that he may have that would have been one of my favorite of his if he did that that film i i always link john candy with john hughes in my mind so i'm not i'm not sure if he did planes trains and automobiles he could have done because again they are okay. two. No, it was. Uh, hold on, let me find it real quick. Yeah, it was John Hughes. John okay. Hughes wrote and directed and produced it. So right. yeah, they, they him and John Candy. My favorite of his. That's pretty cool. Yeah. For me, it's always going to be Home Alone. Just simply because okay. I grew up on Home Alone. Yeah, I was already kind of out out of the gate by that. <laughs> I was already pretty old <laughs> by that uh, time. But um, okay, so last one is Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. Now Michael Bay and I have a really weird spot about Michael Bay. He is one hell of a director when he can be bothered to be one hell of a director, in my opinion. Because, like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you heard about this, but when he was at N- I think it was NYU, uh, it was at the film school there, and his, his professors were like, his work is absolutely amazing. He's one hell of a talented film director. The way he, It's so opposite to what he became with the Transformers movies. Yeah. But I'm curious, what's your take on Michael Bay? I don't think about Michael Bay that often, really. I think about Michael Bay as somebody who I believe he came out of, of, of commercials, right? And music videos. Yeah. And I think of him as a stylist as opposed to a director. I think, I mean, um, yeah, I guess it, uh, there was a time when Ridley Scott was thought of that way as well. Yeah. Where it was like Ridley Scott basically shoots beautiful movies, but there's not, they're empty. There's nothing in them. I think he evolved and, and, and certainly did heavier stuff later. Yeah. But I think of Michael Bay primarily as a, as a visual stylist and somebody who kind of can, almost like early Michael Mann, when Michael Mann with Miami Vice, and it was all about that vibe. And it was a whole, it was a style as opposed yeah. to like the depth of the material. So yeah. I guess for me, Michael Bay um, is just like, there's not the depth there that I guess I look for in the subject matter. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing some of his films, but I don't really even think of him um, in that way, I guess. So I don't, I I guess I don't think of him as an, the auteur because he's obviously doing big blockbuster franchise properties as opposed to, you know, maybe Martin Scorsese where we had that, he talked about Marvel films and he said, well, those aren't cinema. And I guess I don't think Michael Bay's work would probably be cinema. Yeah. <laughs> it's more pop fare, which is totally fine. I love, I love those kind of movies. Yeah. You know, Man, I'll be the nice. first in line to go see Godzilla versus Kong and watch things. I mean, I love that stuff, but I, I don't probably put him, you know, in that level. Yeah. It's that thing they always tell to say with like anyone that's really a cinephile is that we love movies for the movie's sake. Like we will watch terrible movies because we'll find something to enjoy about them. Like, for me, Zoolander is is a work of art. Oh, 
I in love its it. own love way. It. Like one of my go- one of my life goals. I know it's probably not going to happen, but if uh, and I only say that because timing is would be really really strange. Yeah. But it would be get it would be to get um, Owen Wilson, Ben Stiller, and uh, Will Ferrell in a in a lineup with me. And just as we all turn around, we all jump and just blue steel together and turn that into like a piece of like pop art would be kind of a fun thing to do. Um, but I can appreciate certain movies like uh, The Room, for instance. It's a terrible movie, but you can appreciate the terribleness of what they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, disaster movie did a great part of that. But real quick before we wrap up, I was going to say the um, while they all have their own space and time, I find a real cinephile just enjoys, we have our favorites of what we see when someone actually applies the art and the craft and the writing and brings it all together into a visual stimuli and then actually deliver on it. Because for me, a mark of a good movie is can I read the screenplay and feel the same way? Mm-hmm. And that's everyone you've mentioned, read their screenplays. It feels the exact same way. The scripts feel perfectly fine um, yeah. as they are. But anyway, quickly to wrap up before we head off, guys, have an amazing weekend, Rocky. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so greatly. Um, Guys, please go check out, um, oh my God, Project Power, what was it? Uh, Personal, oh my God, I'm actually freaking blanking on your domain right now. Please help. Want me to say it? Yes, please. (laughs) Powerpersonaproject.com. There we go. Powerpersonaproject.com. My brain always goes to projects first. It's like, no, it's powerpersonaproject.com. Guys, go check it out. Join the Facebook group. Uh, send me a message in there, like tag me and say, hey, I'm here because of you. Um, let us know. And as always, please rate, share, subscribe, and I'll see you guys next week. Take care, guys. Thank Bye. you.